Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Eric Russell, uh, state treasurer here joining us. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me. Life is good. We have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, and you'll be surprised how quickly it goes. So I don't want to mess around a whole lot, although it's, you know, I, I, I do like to chat about anything, you know. I, I hear the ads all the time, all over for years, you know, oh, you might have money, you know, go check out the money. And to, is it today is Na- National Unclaimed Property Day? That's right, today. So it's everyone's got their day. There's probably 17 different days <laughs> that are today. But it, it strikes me, is this, do people actually have, like, are there actually stories of people who check out the registry and it turns out they have money and they actually get that money. Does that actually happen? It absolutely happens um, every day. So we uh, we processed 73,000 claims and got money back to folks uh, just last year alone. Um, and it's why we highlight National Unclaimed Property Day. Um, you can go to ctbiglist.com is the website. Yep. Uh, simply by going to the website, you can punch in your name and search if you have any unclaimed property that's being held by the state. Um, and you can process that claim through the website, and then we uh, go ahead through my office and uh, work to get that money back to folks as quickly as yeah. possible. I felt it was like sort of a scratch ticket for me. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't get it. You know, no, you should do it every year. I mean, that's part of the reason it's highlighted, right? Because I've uh, new unclaimed property comes in. It's ultimately either money that's lost or forgotten that could be held with a bank. Uh, that you were disconnected from. They no longer have your good address. Um, it could be a doctor's office that owed you a refund. And it's not just for individuals. It could be for right, businesses, for businesses and municipalities as well. well. Let me hit you with a bunch of questions. Sure. So one is that you said 70,000 plus claims. How many of those actually be, are legitimate that get paid out? Are they? So that's how, that was the number of claims that we that, paid out okay. last year. Number two is how, how do you populate the database? Like how do you find out? The, the stuff is there. Yeah. So every year holders, so again, could be banks, could be businesses that owe uh, money to folks that they could not get in touch with. They are required during a set window of time to turn that money over to the state. If they cannot get it back to individuals, that uh, money then is controlled by my office. We upload that on ctbiglist.com. And they all honor it? Like they don't like hold it? Like yep. there's no, then, is there a criminal element to and this And we also too? do audits of okay. companies and holders to make sure that they are actually following through with their commitment to turn money over. And the other question, which we'll get into some, some other stuff, because these are all, I just made a list of things because I just don't yep. know. What do you do with the money? Does it go into some savings interest bearing or can you, can you, be like the banker and flip it into something that can get a higher yield. So money that that comes in um, that's not paid out automatically flows into our general fund every year. 
um, but we are obligated as a state to pay that back. So at no point, if there was money owed to you, at no point does it expire or does it come off of CT Big List. The state but Connecticut to- make money off that money. We put it into the general fund, so and we're able to use that for to invest things, whatever you're in things around the state. Correct. Huh. That's pretty fascinating. So it's ctbiglist.com. Correct. And they, if they have it, then they go through whatever forms they got to fill out, and then you will put them in the queue for how many thousands they got to process, and then you let them know if they. And it get could it. be small amounts. I've done it where I've had to process a claim for a dollar, um, or there's <laughs> folks that come through and they're owed tens of thousands of dollars that have been sitting on. It could also be money that belongs to an estate of a family member. So what our job is is to first make sure we're safeguarding that money, um, and then turning it around to get it back to the rightful owner. So we have a process where we match identifying information. We've been doing a lot of work to improve technology, so it's not just folks in the office who have to process every single claim manually. Right. Um, and it's how we've been able to turn a lot more claims uh, over more quickly over the last year. So last year, you know, the big story, Jeff Sonnenfeld and his partner put out a big report about uh, the investment performance of Connecticut. And basically it came out, I think it was like 48th or 49th uh, out of all states. And again, we'll talk about that study and and how it's viewed in context, but also a lot of people out there want to know how things are going since then. And we're talking with Eric Russell. Like, what are you most afraid of? Like, like we just watched that avalanche video. Like, I'm claustrophobic. Like, my biggest fear is not being able to move. Ooh. Like, I feel like the worst, like, being buried alive to me is like, would be the most frightening thing of all time. Like, I've had nightmares about it. I can imagine. That's rough. I don't think I have, I don't have any big phobias. I'm, I'm not like a surgery guy. Anything surgical, medical, I'm out. You don't want no needles? Or? I don't want to. Well, needles don't bother me, but I don't want to. Like, I have friends that used to watch surgeries on TV. Oh, so you stuff. don't want general anesthesia. You don't want to go under. Oh, if I need to, just knock me out. But I don't okay. want to hear about it. I don't know what you need. I don't want to know what you need to do. Just do what just you got to do, do and get me out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about um, being trapped. I have this fear of not being able to move. Like, I feel like that would be the worst thing that Ever. sounds pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but that's what that reminds me of. We watched this video. <laughs> Some guy was on an avalanche, but he stayed on top and managed not to get buried, which is amazing. Um, you know, you kind of came into a firestorm a little bit with the pe- with the pension funds when you came in. You know, it was sort of not of your doing, and you, you sort of had to manage and handle it. And Jeff Sonnenfeld from Yale School of Management and uh, his writing partner came out with a study that basically said it, Connecticut is one of the worst states in the union. And the headline was such a grabber because it basically said that we never would have had any budget problems ever if we had just done the median, like if just been in the middle. And, you know, I think that there are some contextual elements that you push back on and rightly so. I don't know if you want to go back and talk about that or just want to, I want to know maybe how fiscal 23 went since in the backdrop of that, that, story. Yeah, no, I, I think I think the uh, the study was really important because I think the most uh, one you could see the opportunity that was in front of us, I think coming into the office, but I think it also just highlighted how important this role is, uh, how important meeting our obligations to our pensioners is, and how important maximizing performance is uh, to our pensioners and to taxpayers across the state. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the great things about the report is in the recommendations in that report. And I met with uh, Professor Sonnenfeld before oh, that report came out. Oh, um, wow. We were in conversation. Um, but these were a lot of challenges that we were aware of. And um, as was noted in the study, a lot of the changes that were 
uh, needed to be made were things that we had either done already or that were in process. But did it help you? And oh no, was it- absolutely. And again, I th- we are constantly looking to collaborate on ways to move things forward. Um, we've seen a lot of these changes that have been implemented over the last couple of years really have a positive impact. Uh, our pension funds performed at eight and a half percent this fiscal year, um, which was put us in the top twenty five percent of pension. Uh, Pension funds all across and the that, country. And that's fiscal year ending last at the end of June. June 30th. Um, and so for the calendar year uh, of 2023, we actually performed at 12.9%. Uh, we're still waiting on our peer comparisons on that, but I expect that we're actually going to have performed better. Because um, Q4 was really good for the stock market, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and we really outperformed as well. I mean, our benchmark performed at 5.9% for the fiscal year. Um, we performed at 8.5%, uh, so 260 basis points above our benchmark. Which our For the lay person out there, that's two point six percent. Yeah, so it's it's above. Uh, ultimately, that difference is all about our active management, right? That's how we were able to um, outperform our benchmark. It added one point one billion dollars in assets to our pension plan. Um, so you know, a lot of this is there have been a lot of reforms made uh, and things that we continue to do. We our biggest piece was our asset allocation, right? Which is how much of each asset class in our portfolio we're investing in. So whether that's private equity or public equities, real fixed estate. income, real estate. Um, and so that accounts for 90 plus percent of your performance as a pension fund. We had done an asset allocation study and we've been in the process of right-sizing our portfolio to that new asset allocation. What was it too heavy in, or light, too light on? Yeah, so we, we were underweight in a lot of our private markets. Um, so we're building that up over time. You don't want to just invest like hedge in funds private, and private equity and that kind of stuff. Yep, and, and real estate, private equity, private credit. So we're in the process of, of beefing all of those asset classes up. We were even on the equity side, uh, we reduced the amount of say emerging markets we had beefed up the amount of uh, us equities we're investing in. So that was a whole process that was done um, over the course of, of a year or so. And then we've been working to right-size the portfolio okay. to align with that. Okay, we're talking with Eric Russell, uh, state treasurer. I got a bunch. I got a yeah. bunch of questions. So I don't know if you want to go rapid fire, but I'll start with an easy one. Is it like endowment type stuff? So you added one point billion, but that's not realized. That's just in value, right? You're not necessarily buying something. That's just overall value of the assets, correct? Correct. So that's what, with our performance, how much was you added to appreciated, the appreciated. Right. Correct. Okay. And then and the other piece is this commitment. Obviously, as we're paying in, we had. $1.9 billion of additional contributions into from our pension the budget fund, surplus from the budget surplus and our volatility cap. And you're st- we're still, you know, you did you read Keith's three part series? I did. I yeah. Did. So, you know, and, and is he accurate on all that that it's going to be till like 2051 if we continue, uh, it won't be fully funded until then, correct? Correct. So we have our, yeah, we, ultimately with our just required contributions, not with the additional contributions that we've paid in. So that obviously can shorten the amount of time that we reach that fully funded status. I mean, over the last four years, we've uh, added $7.7 billion in additional contributions to beefing up our pension funds. And just to give you, I mean, some perspective, I mean, five years ago, we were in the low 30s in terms of our funded ratio for our pension funds. We are now at 60% for our teacher's retirement fund and 50 Two percent for the state employees, yeah. and I think it was really smart in the sense that, and Keith Keith raises a lot of good questions, and not all we can get into today. But I I think that um, you know doing it when you can, because you can already see from the projections, you're not going to be able to do it at that level for forever or for that long. So when you had it, 
it was good that it went to that kind of use because you're not going to have it in five years. Well, I think the other piece, right, is if we look at our pension funds and our unfunded liabilities, we didn't get to this place because of underperformance. I mean, that's really not what caused us to land here. We went 70 years without paying into our right. pension funds. Right. And so you don't invest your way out of that. What we need right now, and I think what we're doing, and credit to the legislature and the governor um, for this broad commitment, the bipartisan commitment to just addressing our longstanding fiscal issues and not kicking the can down the road anymore. Uh, it's the combination of paying in and making sure we're maximizing those uh, investments by performing well. I want to make sure I get this question in. I have a bunch of all little ticky-tacky questions like private credit, but I want to be clear, you know, after... Professor Sonnenfeld's report and all the news around it. Have you, without getting into specifics, have there been some firms that are no longer working with you? Have you, have you streamlined the, the the underperformers and gotten rid of them and brought in new performers that are doing better? We've made a lot of reforms. So I mentioned asset allocation. Manager selection is a big one. We are reviewing all of our managers. We but have some are due, gone. We have a due diligence, yes, a, a robust process for reviewing managers. We've eliminated some managers. My goal is really to reduce the number of managers we're working with big picture because I think we were over-diversified from that perspective. Uh, I want to streamline the portfolio more. What it also allows us to do is scale up investments with managers that we have high conviction in. And what right. happens there, in addition to simplifying the portfolio in many ways, um, it also allows us to get the best economics from those managers. We're able to, we're able to negotiate Lower better. fees. Yeah, fees and so instead of having four fees. different firms, if there's one firm you like, you can do those four things within that one firm. Yeah, and we've yeah. also moved a lot of our, you know, the, the public side, we've streamlined, we've uh, indexed more where we can, where markets are really efficient. There's no reason for us to try to beat the market. Right, and expense so ratios are low spot. with that stuff. So we're yeah. lowering costs and fees and simplifying things there. Obviously, as we are increasing our um, assets and kind of the, private sector, we're bringing in new managers for some of those private um, investments. But that's been another big reform is kind of manager selection and review. We have a, a whole tracking system to eliminate folks if they are right. not meeting our expectations. So that's the key, because I love the wonky crap, yep. you know, but not all the listeners like the wonky <laughs> stuff. But the key is you've made changes based on performance and that and it's it's people aren't just it's not some sort of boys and girls club where everyone gets a piece of the pie and everything's great. Definitely not. And I mean the other piece of this is we've also passed legislation to strengthen the investment advisory council, which is our kind of oversight board that we work very closely with on a lot of these big reforms. We've also passed legislation to make sure we can attract and retain top-tier investment talent within the organization and move fo folks yeah. up. So there's been a lot of uh, things in the works over the last year plus, but um, we're making a lot of really incredible progress. I was sitting here with Eric Russell, uh, state treasurer here on Brian & Company. I had one last question. I was reading an article about private credit. I don't, I mean, I, I know some stuff about the financial world because I covered it for a while, but like, what is... Like for the person who's listening, say, "Oh, you now you're going to do a couple hundred million dollars in private credit. What does that mean?" Yeah, so private—it's actually a newer asset Are class. You loaning money out? So it's it's investing in companies that yes will will uh, loan money out to businesses for and whether it could be for operational expenses. But there's a a bunch of different types of kind of lending through private credit. But it's a big emerging asset class that's newer for us um, and that has had really strong returns in the market. Um, and so as we're, again, diversifying our portfolio, investing more in private markets, um, private credit's an area that we- So is it into. like a guaranteed return? So like you give $100 million, they lend it out at 6% or whatever, they keep three for them and they give you 3%? Is that how, like, I mean, it, I'm trying to dumb it down as much as possible yeah. for me. Close to it. it is because there's different strategies within uh, private credit. It's not derivatives. Some and all of that it kind is of more stuff. risky than others, and okay. as you take on 
riskier investments like that, the returns are greater, obviously, for rewarding you for that risk. For some of that lending that's a lot more secure, your returns are going to be lower. No crazy stuff like Great Recession, like derivative, no, chop no, it up no. and send it in a hundred different directions. None of that. Correct. Okay. Um, I want to get into baby bonds because I, I feel like this is something, you know, you, you you didn't initiate the concept, but you sort of, when you came in, it was pretty much dead. And we don't know how it's going to work for 20, 18 years, right? I mean, we don't really know, but let, let's talk about, I want to take a quick step back if we can, but really quick. How did it go from the governor saying, I'm not going to do this to it's now happening? So the legislation when it was passed in 2021 was going to be funded with bonding. We were going to borrow $50 million a year for 12 years. So $600 million to fund the program. Uh, when I came in at knowing where the program was and where the governor was on the uh, legislation, mostly being that he didn't want to borrow to fund this program. Uh, we came in and just with a fresh start and uh, worked very closely with the governor, with the legislature, folks all around the state, stakeholders, um, to continue to build support for the program and look at the most cost-effective way to fund the program. And so what we were able to do was was find a way where we did not have to borrow any money to fund the program. So, so where's the money coming from? So we actually were able to release money from a special reserve fund that we had, we're holding as a state that was going to be sitting there for the next 10 years. We were able to release that money and put it into the baby bond trust. Um, and we cut over $200 million off the cost of the program because we were funding it up front and we're able to invest that money over a longer period of time. Because of borrowing, the no borrowing costs. Correct. No yeah. borrowing costs. And because we're investing it over a longer period of time. So that $600 million we were able to reach with about $390 million because we have this longer ramp for investing it, um, and we cut any borrowing cost or need to issue any debt to do it. So, Matt, how much time do I have? Have I got like a minute? or Okay. Um, so it started, and tell me how it's going. It's great. So we um, at the six-month mark, we were at uh, just under 8,000 babies who were born eligible for the program. And they get automatically, if they're in Husky Medical? So if they're... Birth is covered by Husky. They're automatically eligible for baby bonds. Does that mean they automatically get put in or they still have to put? There's no application process or enrollment process. If your birth is covered by Husky, you're automatically eligible. What will happen is when individuals are between the ages of 18 and 30, they can make a claim for that money that will grow bet- to be between eleven and $24,000 at the time they're accessing It's it. like 3000 and change to start. 3200 to start. Yeah. And they can use it all for wealth-building initiatives. This is about addressing the wealth gap in our state. Um, there were 164 out of our 169 towns that had babies born. This program will cover everyone um, in terms of geographic areas within the state. Um, but it's a can be used to help purchase a home here in Connecticut, to start or invest in a Connecticut business, to help pay for post-secondary education or job training, or to roll into a retirement savings account. So you could put it in an IRA and or whatever. The, yeah, and the big thing is, you know, most people have built wealth over time by having some access to capital and resources or yeah. or assets that appreciate over time. That's what the goal of this is. But it's also going to be an economic driver because the program is designed that these resources are going to be reinvested back in Connecticut, back into our communities. I have a but yeah. I mean, I I I live a I grew up in a middle class life. I live a middle class life, and I don't qualify for it. But I, you know, like I put twenty five bucks a month for each of my kids into into a Roth. It's only twenty five bucks, so I wonder if if there's a way to eventually be expanded. You know, I tend to. I'm at the point in my career where I don't 
I ask what I'm interested in, and hopefully everyone else is interested in it. And I'm sort of going through the college process of we talked to off mic with my daughter, and I live. I, I, I don't know if it's middle class or upper middle class. I can't, I, I don't know quite how to characterize it, but I still can't afford college. And I, I'm just curious if there's, if there, and I, so I'm asking you this question. It's not a fair question, but would there ever be an opportunity without sort of giving a benefit to the wealthy to expand something like baby bonds? So I think what we're really looking at, I mean, this is one program, right? And by no means is this the solution to all of our problems. I think the reality is that we're one of the wealthiest states in the country, and we have one of the largest wealth gaps, and it's one that's continued to widen. Right. And this is really a program about addressing those cycles of generational poverty in our state. What we're really looking to do, though, is to maximize the opportunity. So we're working with philanthropy and nonprofit organizations to really try to build out this program and provide additional supports. There are existing programs for things like 529, our college savings program, to help make college more affordable. But the reality is that we need to do more. We need to do more to help folks um, pay for school, pay for education, and particularly the middle class, who I know um, are struggling, I think, particularly right now. Um, and I don't know if I can ask you this. Can I interrupt? Sure. And, and if and again, you don't want to answer it, don't answer it. But we, we were talking before about how, how ridiculous the college stuff is and, you know, there is a feeling that maybe the bubble will burst. Do you, do you actually think that this will eventually right size? Because there's no way that, you know, eventually in five years, it's going to be $100,000 a year to go to a private college. I think it has to. Um, and I'm, you know, uh, someone that deals with this directly. I mean, I went through to college and, and to law school, and I pay a mortgage every month in student loans and will for some time. And you went um, to rel- relatively lower-cost institutions. State school. And I, I had friends that came out with a lot more debt than I did. And I was fortunate to come out and, and have a, a really good job and to, to make good money. Um, but I think you know the, the point is all of these challenges we have to look at holistically in, in thinking about what we need to do to make the cost of living just more affordable, um, but I think particularly college. And I do think the the bubble on this front will burst at some point. It's not really sustainable. I don't know. I just have trouble visualizing that bursting, yeah. but I hope that you're right. Well, let's talk about the 529 thing, because one thing that I don't think gets out there enough is that, say you're a grandfather, you just become a new grandfather, you can actually, you might not think you can pay for your kid's college, but if you open up a 529 for your grandson or granddaughter and you put in money in that over time, that 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 can go toward their education without sort of overwhelming you as a grandparent. Totally. It's, these shed accounts are huge. I mean, one, they allow people to help save for college and to pay in uh, in advance. Also at a tax advantage basis where you can deduct payments that uh, are going into your 529 account. But it doesn't just need to be parents that are paying into it. We actually have setups now where you can have a link for your child's chat account and multiple people can contribute to that chat account, whether it's on birthdays or whatever the case may be. Um, and so again, trying to do our part as a state to make college more affordable. Um, there's also programs like baby scholars when, uh, within the first year of a baby being born, if you open a chat account, a hundred dollars is automatically contributed to that account, which will start to grow and be invested. And it doesn't sound like much, but over 18 years, it's, it's something right. Yeah. And it's certainly helping. Um, and then we also have uh, programs like our, our Dream Big competitions where kids from K through 12 uh, can participate, whether it's writing an essay, doing an art project, but through that competition uh, can get scholarship contributions to their CHED account um, up to $10,000. So, um, you know, it's it's as we look at the challenge of, of cost of, of education, this is a program that's just designed to help 
one families to think about saving early, but how to maximize um, those investments. Does UConn do the the one where it locks in the tuition? Does it do that one as well, or Chet is just like a, an investment account? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And and my my question on this one is: Are enough people? Like, what are the numbers? I mean, are they pretty consistent? Uh, are they going up? Are they going down? Increasing for the number of accounts. I believe it was about 18,000 accounts that were opened last year uh, for Chet Savings Programs. Um, but it's why we're doing a lot of work out in the community. We get out and, and really want people to know about the opportunity um, so that they're thinking about their future, right? Thinking about saving for education uh, down the road and that they're able to take advantage of the tax benefits that, that go along with those savings. Yeah, and I think about the the baby bonds is one thing like your generation is most people aren't going to have a pension. And if they don't, who knows if the 401k is going to work? Like we don't, that's why social security has become such a big deal because a huge amount of people are going to have to have it or they're not going to be able to survive when they're retired. I mean, it's a different financial landscape. And so it all, all comes together. I guess what I, I say to people is like, even if you did a little, because I didn't know about incremental crap when I was young, and I wish I did because I, I would have been way ahead of where I am now. Yeah, that compounding interest and just um, investment opportunity. I, listen, I one of the coolest things about this role is that I think in some ways I'm uniquely positioned to really think about the long-term future, right? The long-term future of our state. And it's why we do a lot of work out in the community, really trying to get other folks to think about those opportunities to save and invest. Um, and, and, you know, we all want a secure retirement and to be able to retire with dig- dignity. Um, a lot of the work that we're doing is, is really focused on making sure people have those opportunities in the future. Uh, we're talking with Eric Russell, who is the treasurer here in the state of Connecticut. And we, I mean, it's great. To, I'm so glad you took the time to come in. I think it's people don't, you, you know, they don't have a lot of opportunity here in Connecticut to hear from people like you, like to hear. They can read an article, see you for 90 seconds on Dennis House on a Sunday, you know, but if it's different, like it's good to have you in. So we appreciate you and your staff for setting it up. I just want to get back to the peg for today, um, National Unclaimed Property Day. Uh, so this is something people can check 365 days a year. Correct. Just let's just reset because we got parents taking their kids to school, different audiences. Yep. Um, where do they go and just give a little bit of overview of, of what, what it is. Yeah, so everyone should go to ctbiglist.com. And what you are able to do on that website is see if you have any unclaimed property that is being held by the state. So this is property that would be turned over that was owed to you, maybe an old bank account. Maybe People just forget? I don't get it. It's, so if you change your address, you had a small bank account, and that bank hasn't been able to get in touch with you for three years, that money gets turned over to the state. And so it could be a host, it could be a, a refund check from something, it could be a variety of different things. But um, the main point is that you want to check that uh, website, ctbiglist.com today, with it being National Unclaimed Property Day. And you want to set a day where you do that regularly because things constantly get added to it. Um, and then my job is to make sure we get that money back to you as quickly as possible. And so this, as a state, we want to make sure we're reconnecting you with those funds. Um, so everyone should go to the website, ctbiglist.com and check it out. We got Food Truck Tommy in about 45 seconds. We're going to get you some breakfast to get you squared away. We have Bristol Mayor Jeff Cajano waiting in the wings uh, for the next half hour. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for, me, for having me on. Uh, Eric Russell, uh, treasurer here in the state of Connecticut. And you listen, from baby bonds to 529s to unclaimed property to the investment performance, we'll be, we'll be talking to him uh, many times 
uh, in the near future, I'm sure. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.